What did we learn from Oklahoma's win over UCF? Dylan Gabriel has another solid performance. Where does that put him in the Heisman race? We'll talk about that and so much more on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners Live. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use promo code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy over at prizepicks.com. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on the KRF Sports app. And Josh, still kind of in the recovery of the Oklahoma Sooners win over UCF. It, it was a lot closer than probably everybody expected. But what did we learn from the Oklahoma Sooners? Well, I think something probably we already knew. But again, this version of Oklahoma wins close football games. And last year's version of Oklahoma did not win close football games. But now what uh, four games you can look at where to some degree things were up in the air a little bit SMU Cincinnati Texas and uh, this game obviously right here versus UCF so I start there Oklahoma both sides of the football when push comes to shove and it's time to go make a play they have collectively been able to pull on the same rope a heck of a lot better than uh, you did a season ago to where it's hey, if there was a drive to be had or a couple of drives offensively and defensively that you needed to put put together in complementary fashion, Oklahoma couldn't do that a year ago. So the fabric of this OU DNA is a little bit, a little bit nicer than the fabric of last year's OU DNA. What I learned from it is that they're a team that's able to win even when they're not playing their best. And I think that's a positive sign. I know it's easy to take that as a negative that, hey, you just need to show up and play your best. At the same time, you're not always going to be at your best. You're all, you're sometimes going to have a 2021 Baylor game where you just show up and, and really don't show up and you end up losing that game. But this one, I mean, UCF came ready to play just like, uh, you know, other people have said in this one and Oklahoma didn't necessarily seem as locked in as we've seen them and credit to UCF for making them look that way, but they they responded, they played well in the fourth quarter and ultimately won the fourth quarter, which is what you got to do in order to win a football game. And they did what they had to do. So it's an encouraging sign. Now we got to see them continue to build and continue to prove it. Just like Brent Venable said in his post-game speech, you know, I want to see you continue to prove it. I think that's one of the, the positives about this team is they're not somebody that has arrived. They still have a lot to prove. And as they continue to get better, I think they'll they'll show that they're going to get a challenge every single week in, in the rest of the season. It's up to them to rise to the challenge and let teams know, hey, we're not going to play down to your level. We're going to play to our standard. What we saw on Saturday wasn't what Oklahoma has played like all year long. Now is an opportunity to go and right the ship a little bit as you get ready for Kansas. Yeah, it uh, it obviously wasn't Oklahoma's best. But you found a way to win to move to seven and zero, which of course is the all important piece of it. Piece of it for Oklahoma. So they got to play better. They know that they they have to play better. But also now all of a sudden, and I don't think anybody, John, is typically ever sleepwalking through. Hey, we've got Oklahoma this week, or we can take OU lightly. You kind of always get everybody's best because you're Oklahoma. And it means something to play you well or to beat you. And obviously the backdrop to this one, I don't know that it mattered much to the players, but obviously it mattered to the UCF fan base with the Dylan Gabriel, Jeff Levy uh, portion of this one. So again, I don't know that that was any extra added fuel to the fire for the actual players themselves, but definitely for the fan base, it made that fan base want this game versus Oklahoma. We heard that uh, UCF fans just turned up in droves. I've, you know, People have described it, John, as one of the best visiting crowds in the last decade. 
to uh, in Oklahoma games. The UCF fans, they showed up, they showed out. And obviously the team played much better than we expected, particularly defensively. UCF was much better than expected. And after a slow start where it looked like, oh, yeah, this is a team that's breaking its starting quarterback back in, right, turning its starting quarterback back from a backup quarterback or an injured quarterback back into just that, the starting quarterback. Once they got going, they they did get going, though it looked early like maybe this thing was going to be a laugher for Oklahoma. It wasn't. So Oklahoma, to me, slept walked a, a little bit through this thing. I don't feel great for Oklahoma coming out of it. And I could make a little bit of an argument that there's some not so great signs for Oklahoma at times this season with SMU, with uh, Cincinnati and with this game, the Texas game obviously being close. Okay, just win that one. But Oklahoma at times hasn't played four great quarters. And so that's an exciting thing potentially for Oklahoma that you're 7-0 and here. And I do think that there's some legitimate room for improvement, John. And not just run game improvement, but across the board four quarters improvement. Yeah, that's to me the the most important thing that I see coming up this next weekend is just playing more consistently throughout the game, not having big droughts like you had in the third quarter of this one. You know, thankfully the Oklahoma defense was able to hold them to just a couple field goals during that stretch and were only down 6 points against potentially a much better quarterback down the road or a much better offense or an offense clicking a little bit better on all cylinders you might be down a little bit more than that. You can't go through a four drive stretch where you have interception, punt, punt, punt. You just can't do that and expect to win football games. So I'm looking for them to rebound. We've seen them show that resiliency as was mentioned by Sean or by who was it? I can't remember who. Yeah. Sean, Sean mentioned that this team was pretty resilient this year and, and shown the, the ability to bounce back. Well, they do it in games and I feel like they'll bounce back after this one. Cause you know, after the SMU game, they had a, a big time performance against Tulsa after the Cincinnati game, they had a big time performance against Iowa state. Will they kind of respond in a similar fashion this week on the road against Kansas? That that's going to be a great question, but you know, we're, we're starting to learn that this team isn't just going to let poor play define who they are, whether it's for a quarter or for a game or for the season, they're going to reset each week and go and try and be better that next week. And so I think that's an encouraging sign. We, I mean, we've seen that out of the running game all year long, where for the first two, three quarters of the game, they're not necessarily clicking on all cylinders. And then like we saw against UCF in the fourth quarter, for some odd reason, they can just go ahead and turn it on and, and be a really, really effective unit. Uh, be an effective part of the offense. And that's what it was. And and hopefully we've said this several times this season, but hopefully that's the sign that we're looking for that Oklahoma's running game is starting to improve. Albeit it, it's one of the worst run defenses in college football. We'll see if they can, you know, keep that momentum going against Kansas. Yeah. It'll be uh, interesting to see what that carryover effect looks like in the run game. You're, Waiting, 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 hoping that uh, Oklahoma finally has found something. And uh, I know we've got some some comments we can touch on about the run game that uh, maybe maybe we learned something there. There's some people, John, coming out of this thing that feel like they learned that Tommy Walker, Gavin Sawchuck, clearly right now the one and two options for this team. A lot of people feel like they learned, uh, you know, whether you want to get away from Sawchuck has turned the corner and this or that's going to happen for him. A lot of people feel like Tommy Walker obviously was legitimately missed for Oklahoma for three quarters of this football game, which I don't know that that's particularly shocking, but uh, I do think you could make that argument as something that we learned from this game that yes, Tommy Walker is a piece for this team that at times can be missed. Yeah, maybe. I still don't know. I still don't know if it's the running backs, if it's the offensive line. I, I feel like there's a little bit of both at play that, yeah, Tommy Walker plays really, really tough, but I don't think he's out there running like Ramondre Stevenson all, every single time he gets the ball where he's picking up six, seven yards a carry. No, I, I still think this is a, a, a running game that's still improving, still has a lot to work on and still has a lot to figure out. But I think seeing Gavin Sacha get some run and, and, and flash, I think that was a really encouraging sign. Now, Marcus Major, I mean, he had two really good runs at the end of the game, you know, picked up 13 yards on a pair of those that helped Oklahoma get up 
on UCF late in that game to take the one point lead. So I'm not sleeping on Marcus major. Is he the best running back on the team? Talent wise, maybe not, but he is a consistent player. And, and again, had 80 yards rushing uh, on the day against UCF. So I feel like it's still a, a big, you jug, you throw all the balls up in the air and whichever one you catch is going to be the one that stands out that week. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out moving forward, but I, I still think there are positive signs from the running game. We got so much more to touch on from UCF. We'll talk about Dylan Gabriel, his Heisman status and some big rec recruiting news and nuggets as well. As we continue on here on locked on Sooners live. Thanks so much for being here and being a part of the chat. We'll talk to you more about all that here after the break. And today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new hire can feel like a high stakes wager. That's why we recommend going to LinkedIn and using their great screening questions and the purple hashtag hiring frame that lets everybody know that you're hiring for your small business. They got the simple tools that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. So you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs. Number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So go to LinkedIn jobs right now. They'll help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Josh, in our Monday episode, we really didn't talk a whole lot about Dylan Gabriel's game. Yeah, it wasn't the cleanest performance for the Heisman contender. It's, it's fun to talk about Dylan Gabriel as a Heisman contender all of a sudden, but he did complete 66% of his passes through for over 250 yards, three touchdowns. He had, had the one interception, but you watch that interception and you can pretty well say, okay, that's not all on Dylan Gabriel in that one. But I thought all in all, he played a good game, made the throws that he needed to make to help win the game. Um, I like what we're seeing out of Dylan Gabriel. Does he need to be better? Again, I think this is for all of the offense. It's just got to be more consistent for four quarters. But Dylan Gabriel, for me, really good performance. And I thought at the end of the game, John, which probably we've seen this a couple of times, this uh, season where it was, you know, whether it was SMU or Cincinnati, Texas, the final drive, and these last couple of drives, I thought that Oklahoma just basically said, okay, Dylan Gabriel, go go win the football game and, and let him uh, loose a little bit where maybe they, they hadn't done that throughout uh, other portions of the game on Saturday. So he, he's been able to deliver in big spots this season. The accuracy, that was what we spent so much time in the offseason talking about. Can it be better? Can it be better? And not that it's been perfect. He's missed some throws, and he's actually missed some throws in key spots, but – those inaccuracies have definitely they've declined. They, you know, he's gotten more accurate. He uh, in big moments has delivered on a more consistent basis, whether it's with his feet, whether it's finding targets. So the number one thing I like about Dylan Gabriel right now, and there's a lot to like, whether it's again, his feet, his accuracy, the distribution, all the different weaponry that he's gotten involved over the course of the season. He's, he's been able to make plays when it matters most, John. And that's been a defining characteristic for him and for this team. And it was one of those knocks against him coming into this season was that in big moments, in big games, that he's not somebody that had risen to the occasion. Well, that's not been the case this year, whether it's, you know, the SMU game where all of a sudden it's a three point game. Well, what does Jeff Levy do? He puts the ball in his quarterback's hands and says, go in as the football game. We saw it again against Texas, a guy that, you know, played really, really well uh, when the game was on the line. And you had to have a play. Uh, Dylan Gabriel showed up and and was one of the best players on the field. And and again on Saturday against UCF, you know, yeah, UCF uh, had an opportunity. They got down there. They had a chance to tie the game late, but it was that final drive that made it thirty-two to twenty-three. Uh, sorry, thirty-one to twenty-three. That Dylan Gabriel was again really really good on that drive and helped Oklahoma extend that lead. So where they're not having to, the defense isn't having to go preserve a one point lead. Could they have maybe, but Dylan Gabriel made it to where that wasn't the case. He's been a really, really important piece of the puzzle for the Oklahoma Sooners offense. And as it can, pertains to the Heisman race, you know, he's still not really getting a ton of respect. Um, even though guys like Michael Penix had a pretty poor game uh, last uh, this past Saturday against uh, Arizona state, 
it's JJ McCarthy that's getting the big bump right now. Right now, Dylan Gabriel's tied for the fourth best Heisman's Heisman odds over at FanDuel at plus 1,200, uh, sitting there with Jordan Travis and Bo Nix. But the top three right now are J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix, and Jaden Daniels. So a lot of uh, room for him to continue to make up in the Heisman race if he's going to be a contender. Ultimately, the biggest thing is wins, and he'd tell you that. The coaching staff would tell you that. But it's an interesting storyline to follow because coming into the season, I don't think anybody considered him a top five, six Heisman contender. He was probably down in the 12 to 15 range or so. But it's cool to see that they're that he's getting the respect that his play is is deserving of. I don't think he's going to win the Heisman. And maybe when we get there, he will have deserved to, or certainly uh, will will finish as one of the finalists. But I just think we kind of see it, even you rattling those names off right now. Dylan Gabriel has every reason to be toward the top of that list or above any of those names you mentioned. But there's this, Entry to the season, there's the hangover from last season to a degree with Dylan Gabriel and with Oklahoma, but with Dylan Gabriel, the way he's being judged, those other guys, I think, just came in in the media's mind. And keep in mind, I mean, that's who's deciding this thing with such a decided advantage over Dylan Gabriel for the Heisman and the schedule, I think, works against him a little bit, John. It's it's better than... We thought probably in the summer, these these final five games and even early in the season uh, with Oklahoma State coming alive, obviously that's changed. KU, this will be a tough game. Uh, West Virginia is better, I would say, right, than people thought. BYU uh, is pretty good. TCU, again, I told you this the other day, TCU might be the team that is least impressive relative to what we thought they were going to be at either a juncture this season or before the season, I mean, they've got to be. That would be the slam dunk choice out of the final five of the team that's uh, most disappointing. But there's not another Texas game until the Big 12 championship, whether it's Texas or Kansas State for Dylan Gabriel. So maybe there's a chance for him to really, really impress in a Big 12 championship game. I He's going to have to put up some monster numbers, John, for him to truly go win the Heisman. I think he's going to be right in the thick of it, but I don't think he's going to get the benefit of the doubt from the voters, which stinks, but I think that's just kind of where the thing is at. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of where things stand, especially given the guys that are very highly thought of, uh, whether it's in NFL draft circles or coming into the season in the Heisman race are still getting a lot of a lot of pub. Even a guy like Jaden Daniels, who has two losses under his belt with the LSU Tigers, had a pretty poor game against Florida State. I mean, that guy is still – Yeah, I mean, he he's 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 been great, though, otherwise. Like, he's had some really, really great performances, both running and passing, so it's understandable why. But, I mean, those two losses, I mean, they, they stand out a little bit. Dylan Gabriel hasn't lost a game yet. Uh, speaking of a quarterback situation, let's talk what Kansas is dealing with. Uh, coming up next, Jalen Daniels might be available, might not. Is Lance Leipold playing a little, uh, playing coy with the quarterback situation? We'll talk about all that next. Testing my skills on prize picks this football season. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few easy taps. And again, it's really simple to play, just more than, less than, I don't have numbers for the Oklahoma game versus Kansas this upcoming weekend, but uh, I've got a feeling, a feeling coming out of the end of last week, the more than in the rushing department could be could be a good play for Oklahoma. And Dylan Gabriel, I think, going to have a big game. But uh, KU's got a nice offense too. So whatever that more than or less than number is for both, you might want to might want to go above that, might want to be thinking – more than prize picks really simple to play i can make my picks you can too and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds plus they've got quick with quick withdrawals which everybody uh, likes that part as well go to prizepicks.com backslash locked on college use our code locked on college for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com locked backslash locked on college use our code locked on college for a first deposit match up to 100 daily fantasy sports made easy all right, Josh, let's talk about the Kansas quarterback situation. Jalen Daniels has been missing for some time, 
with the Jayhawks. It's been the Jason Bean show, and it's been some good, some not so good. But what are you hearing, and what do you make of what Kansas potentially might roll out at quarterback this Saturday? I don't think that they're going to see Daniels this Saturday. The The report early this week is from Coach Leipold is, again, questionable for Jalen Daniels. The the conversation is that, yes, he is doing more in practice, but I just get the sense, honestly, against OU, with Bean having done some of what he's done and Neil and others at times for Kansas, they've been good offensively, John. I don't know that that's been the biggest problem that Kansas has run into at times, scoring points. Now they had, what, the late couple of turnovers at Oklahoma State that uh, that cost them there, but before that, offensively pretty good. And so, I don't know, I just get the sense that unless Daniels is 100%, which what reason to believe would we have that that's the case when he sat out this long and coach is still saying questionable, I think that probably against Oklahoma they're going to say that Bean is still the best option for us. But obviously each option clearly is on the table. Yeah, only Lance Leipold knows what Lance Leipold knows, but it just seems – it seems still a little bit soon. If you're not a hundred percent that you'd go out there against Oklahoma. Now I'm fully prepared for Jalen Daniels to play some, even if it's in a, just a, Hey, don't forget about me. Think about, think about having to play against me. And with, with what Leipold is saying, it's going to force the Oklahoma Sooners to kind of prepare for both quarterbacks. But let me say this. These two are not two dissimilar quarterbacks. They're not, I mean, they're both athletic guys that can make big plays with their legs and with their arm. You know, Jalen Daniels is just a, the better version of the two of them. But Jason Bean is no slouch either. This is a really good guy, a really good player that kind of took Oklahoma to the brink last year. So they've got a lot. They're going to have to have a lot of respect for Jason Bean. And there's a reason because they put up 40 points on the Sooners last year with Bean at quarterback. So I'm not I don't think that there's going to be anybody sleeping on this situation, whether Daniels is playing or not, because Bean, it might be the best backup quarterback in college football. That's not a five-star freshman. You know what I mean? Like we might consider Jackson Arnold, the best backup quarterback in college football, because we think he might be the best future quarterback in the country. But I mean, Jason Bean with what he's done the last couple of years, I mean, he's a really, really good player and they run the ball really, really well. So there's going to be enough offensively, but you're right. The defense has been more of the issue for the Jayhawks, but I do think that the way that they're managing the quarterback situation will give Brent Venables and his defensive coaching staff, something to think about as they work through this week. He threw Bean did for 410 yards versus uh, Oklahoma state. And then against UCF, he only passed 12 times because guess what? They ran for 400 yards against UCF and won the game uh, 51 to 22. So he wasn't really asked to, uh, to do a lot of throwing of the football on that one. Texas game wasn't, wasn't great. For for being, he was just nine of twenty one in that game for a buck thirty six with the the one passing touchdown. So he's he's got the potential, though, as we saw and as you mentioned firsthand, to make this thing interesting and to potentially upset Oklahoma. Keep in mind this this game to me is it's the reverse right of this series in basketball. Oklahoma for you know years and years and years trying to solve that Allen Fieldhouse puzzle. And ironically, the problem for Kansas is still, uh, well, it's everywhere, but it's also in Lawrence in football for Kansas. This is the last chance, right, to beat OU before they exit out the door. So that's going to be, it's it's this week is going to be what you expect for Oklahoma on the road. But if Oklahoma lets Kansas and Bean and company make plays early. That's going to get more and more challenging the crowd uh, as the game goes because of some of the history, I think, attached to it. So as always on the road, imperative that Oklahoma defends Bean positively early and tries to take that crowd out of it and hopefully can lean on the run game that we saw signs from this past week. You know, anytime Kansas is good, they have a really good environment up there in Lawrence. It's, I don't know why I I've always enjoyed when Kansas is good because they get the waving wheat going and it's just fun to watch, you know, it's, and it's kind of that underdog team. That's never really all that great, 
but when they have good seasons, their fans really, really dig it and really get into it. And, and you kind of, you enjoy that for the fans. And you, cause just as a football fan, you, you hate being on the always losing end of things. You know, I, I'm, I'm a Texas Rangers fan. So, or at least have been in my life. And so I'm enjoying tonight, but there have been a lot of hundred lost seasons that I've gotten to endure along the way, or, you know, the, the disappointing end of a season, even if it's in the playoffs. So for Kansas, it's going to be a rocking environment up there and the fans are going to be geeked out and they're going to provide a very difficult, you know, um, home venue for the Sooners to go into. So it, it's going to have to be, it's going to be imperative for them to come in locked in, in sync and start fast. Because again, if like Josh just said, if they don't start fast and Kansas has momentum early in this game, it's going to be tough to take the crowd back out of it because they'll be into it for all four quarters of this one. So you got to jump out early, jump out quick. The Sooners are right now a 10 point favorite over at FanDuel, but I, I do think this is going to be a high scoring game just based on what Kansas's defense hasn't been capable of doing this season. They're allowing 27.4 points per game, uh, 235 yards passing and, you know, just under 400 total yards against the run they've been pretty solid just 161 rushing yards a game but allowing 4.7 yards per attempt and two touchdowns per game so again it's another opportunity for them to get things going on the ground but they have to execute in the run game in their in their blocking scheme if they're going to be able to take advantage of that yeah i mean that's 93rd in the country in rushing defense so maybe some signs again from last week carry over into this one and you know, the avenue for success, the pathway to success on the road is paved in the running game, right? I mean, that takes a lot of the stress and worry and uh, sure you could get the football popped out, right? Uh, rushing the football, but generally speaking, those weird deflections at the line of scrimmage and all of a sudden a linebacker, a big defensive lineman or a corner or a safety coming away with the football and an interception, you take some of those plays out of the equation on the road when you can line up, physically go dominate, and lean on the run game, which hopefully, right, we – did we basically find out Tawi Walker was sort of disciplinary for him being out this past week? So you got Tawi, you got Major, you got Sawchuk. Uh, we'll see about Barnes, right, as that one continues to uh, progress as the year goes along. But at least three – three uh, key pieces in the running game and one that may become surging into this week in Gavin Sawchuk. The other thing that's kind of interesting about the crowd in this one, John, it's a crowd that's ready to be beat. So as lively and energetic and raucous as I, I'm going to make the case for them to be, and they do want this game really badly. It's a weird road crowd in the sense that I don't think that they think they're going to win this game, right? They need Kansas so badly on the field to do some positive things, to give them a reason to believe, oh, we're going to beat Oklahoma today. They don't think they're going to beat Oklahoma today. They've never beaten Oklahoma, any of the fans up there. They're ready for basketball season in Lawrence, Kansas. Now they're ready for this game until you make it to where they're no longer ready for the game. If well, it's going to be a fun environment because they got big noon kickoff coming Saturday. So that they'll they'll have the crowd kind of warmed up, ready to go to, to get ready for the Saturday's game. But it's – it is going to be imperative for Oklahoma to run the ball, to take the crowd out of it. Hank mentions it there. Chance of rain on Saturday in Lawrence. So run, 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 run. And Jeff Levy would love to do that. He'd love to be able to turn around and hand it off 40 times and get the ball uh, on the ground and take the crowd out of it with a demoralizing run game. Now's the time to see it. Let, let's go. Let's go run for 300 yards and start putting that question to bed as you get ready for the stretch run. Cause again, you're not only going to have this road game, you're going to have Stillwater the following week against Oklahoma State, a team that is all of a sudden really good after losing to South Alabama. Uh, this team is just the Jekyll and Hyde of the Big 12 this year, but have, has been playing really, really good football. Josh, should we talk about some recruiting stuff? Absolutely. Sure. Let's uh, let's dive into it. Then we can hit some some comments and questions. Yeah, so, so all of our recruiting segments are brought to you by LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So it's been a really, really fun week on the recruiting trail. Last Thursday, they got the commitment from Michael Boganowski. We talked about that in our Friday episode. But on Friday, they got the commitment from Devin Jordan, the union cornerback. Uh, 
four-star pro, uh, prospect in the 247 sports composite, one of the best players in the state of Oklahoma, commits to the Oklahoma Sooners, another big-time addition for Jay Valai and Brent Venables and the Sooner staff. Absolutely. And it sounds like without firing off an ultimatum to Jordan, sounds like they basically said, hey, we're ready to start finalizing things a little bit. We've got some other folks that maybe would want to jump into this class if you don't want to. And that's when Jordan kind of got to the point of, okay, yeah, you're, you're right. My mind's made up and let's go ahead and uh, make this commitment happen, which big time pickup. I love keeping in-state kids in-state and, and coming from Union to the University of Oklahoma. And then uh, obviously bringing that type of talent in into uh, the secondary is, is a nice thing. Well, now you have four of the top 10 prospects in the state of Oklahoma, six of the top 20, and I think it's only going to continue to improve from there. You know, this is a, a, a team, an Oklahoma program that's had to kind of rebuild their status on the recruiting trail in the state of Oklahoma after the Lincoln Riley era that seemed to neglect it is maybe the best word to say, or avoid it altogether. Uh, Brent Venables has definitely made it a made a concerted effort to get back into Oklahoma and recruit it really, really well. Now there's prospects that are going to get out of state. They're going to get to other schools, go to Oklahoma state. You're not going to win all of those recruiting battles, but again, for the top 10, six of the top 20, you got to win your state. If you're the Oklahoma Sooners. And right now they're doing that. I think it's a great addition. You know, you have, uh, several really, really good, you know, prospects in this defensive back class, along with Jaden Hardy, Jeremiah Newcomb, Eli Bowen, it's a good and Michael Patterson McDonald. It's a really good class with a bunch of really competitive dudes that are going to play above their star status. And I, I really, really like what they're doing on the trail. Speaking of crystal balls, I mean, yeah, Gunny's putting it out there. The Reggie powers crystal ball. I mean, this is a guy that has been on Oklahoma's radar now uh, since just before his decommitment from Michigan state, just a few weeks back at the end of September, Oklahoma offered, Reggie powers. They had been recruiting him for a little bit while, and then he decommits from Michigan state. Obviously there's a lot of extenuating circumstances as it pertains to the Spartans. But since then, all of the, you know, trending crystal balls and projections predictions have gone in Oklahoma's favor. Uh, according to somebody I've talked to, it's between Oklahoma and UCLA, but the visit for an unofficial weekend in Norman this past Saturday certainly moved the needle. And I think that's the, what's being reflected with crystal balls from Alan true from two, four, seven sports and Steve Phil stuff, Steve Wiltfong of two, four, seven sports as well. Yeah. I mean, it would be a, a big time pickup in this class, John. I love the, I just love the, you know, f- to start with for Reggie powers, I like the frame, 6'1", 200, the, the measurables, right? Look and, and sound pretty nice for a safety. Uh, obviously, blue chip kid and um, got offers from a, a bunch of great programs. And you, you mentioned a little bit of the backstory uh, from Michigan State. So this would be a nice swing of the pendulum in Oklahoma's direction to help round out what is a, a pretty nice little defensive backs class. But again, yeah, I love what I've seen from Powers on tape. Again, I really like the measurables. So I think this would be a big-time get if indeed this comes uh, Oklahoma's way, which uh, top 300 player, top 275 in the composite, 24-7 sports uh, individually, likes him a lot better than that. They basically like him as a top 150 player and top 10 safety nationally. So would be uh would be nice. And it feels like even with everything Oklahoma's done in this class, John, 27 commits, it's there's there's other names to talk about we we might still have some late movement in this class to have this thing expand out uh well into the 30s in terms of commits for oklahoma which is just wild yeah it's a big class and and i think the reggie powers uh move or at least the late recruitment of reggie powers just is a, a sign that they're looking to have a big big class but this dude is is somebody who could come in and be a part of that safety rotation pretty early on in his career. He's got the physical makeup. He's got the physicality and the tenacity to come in and be a big-time player for the Sooners at safety. And you you mentioned the frame. You mentioned the size. But how about some athleticism? The kid's also a basketball player, and I think that somewhat translates really, really well to being able to go up and play the ball in the air. you got to be able to rebound to play basketball, and that's going to – 
that's going to translate pretty well to the football field when you're playing over the middle of the field and, and looking to make a play on the football. So excited for what looks like it's going to happen. If all the predictions and crystal balls end up being correct, it looks like maybe Reggie powers is going to be a sooner, but you don't count your chickens before they hatch. Still that UCLA defense is playing really, really good. So he's got a lot to consider on that front It's understandable. If you know, he, he's taking that time to make, make a good decision that he feels like is going to be best for him in his future. But you can't say enough about what Jay Valai, Brandon Hall, Brent Venables are doing in the defensive backfield over the last few years at in on the recruiting trail, whether it's 2022 with Gentry Williams and Robert Spears Jennings, 2023 with the number, the incredible number of blue chip prospects that they brought in in the 2023 cycle. And then now even in 2024, it's looking like a really underrated part of this recruiting class. We've had so much time and and spent so much time focusing on the defensive line recruiting and rightfully so you got to hit that out of the park and they have but i think the defensive back recruiting is also just top notch once again because brandon hall and jay Valai are just crushing it out there yeah and i'm watching reggie powers highlights as we speak uh, looking at uh, some of his info on huddle he, he's got it down four six forty yard dash four two five shuttle uh, 30 in the vertical benches, 290 squats, 425. So <laughs> my man is uh, ready to come play some college football here in a hurry, but just flipping on his tape and watching it right here, John, if he's four, six, he's got what I would define as football speed, mm-hmm. the acceleration, the deceleration. I mean, he gets downhill in a hurry, identifies reads, reacts, gets to the football quick. So if this guy's 4'6", uh, at times it looked quicker than that defensively. So, again, I, I really like him. Yeah, it's he's a really, really, really intriguing prospect. And I think, you know, yeah, you hate to see what's going on up in Michigan State and, and the controversy that goes on up there, but it's going to potentially benefit Oklahoma. And, you know, based on what I've heard, Oklahoma's really been heavily recruiting this kid. They've, they've had multiple phone calls, multiple interactions with them. And so they're trying to really lock this one down. They, and again, it goes back to trust the coaches evaluations, especially when it comes to Brent Venables, Brandon Hall, if they see a player, you got to believe that the dude's a player and it's an exciting one. And he has had a lot of big time offers too. If you look at his offer sheet, I mean, it's not just Michigan state, Oklahoma, UCLA. There's really a lot of impressive power five offers on his uh, offer sheet. So we'll see where that goes. It seems like maybe a commitment is imminent, but we don't know that yet, but whenever it drops, we'll let you know. And then, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that are going down uh, on the recruiting trail. The the door is kind of opening in some other areas, although it did close on the Bryant Wesco uh, hopes and dreams. He posted on Twitter tonight that, Hey, thanks to everybody for, uh, you know, reaching out and continuing to recruit me, but I'm hundred percent closed. I'm going to Clemson, yada, yada. Flips are the rarity. They're the exception, not the rule. It was always going to be a pipe dream, I thought, to get Bryant Wesco to flip. But, you know, you can always dream, right? It's never, it's never wrong to dream. No, yeah. And uh, I'm still dreaming even after the tweet. So uh, <laughs> it, it uh, obviously looks like he's he's very solid in his Commitment to Clemson, though, we had heard kind of some buzz and some smoke. Well, what do you think? Maybe not playing great football over there right now, but uh, obviously it appears as though he's going to stick there. So it uh, it's going to be interesting to follow over the next, what, uh, basically two months now? Uh, less than two months? Like We're like six weeks from the early signing period, which is crazy. The, yeah. the season is going by so fast. I, I was writing for Sooners Wire today. And I just thought to myself, like, we only have five regular season games left. No, that's dumb. Like, what? how did that happen? We just started the season like yesterday. This is so silly that the football season's like more than half over. Yeah. And as uh, as someone who, first and foremost, is a fan, but secondly, content creation here, please, I, I can't have this season end anytime soon. We need to keep going. I'm not ready for another off season just yet. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, get to the second week of January at least, you know, I think that's a, you know, have games go that long. I feel like that's reasonable. Oklahoma should, should give us cover well into uh, February. Then we'll be in the, the, the throngs of uh softball season. So that'd be, that'd be nice, but yeah, no, it, uh, it's it's going to be, again, over the next two months, interesting, six weeks, whatever you want to say, right? It's going to be interesting 
to see how this thing closes because they're in a great spot right now. And yet there's some movement, some other names. Uh, Grant Bricks, obviously a big-time target to add along the offensive line. It feels like, uh, you know, with a name like Powers potentially joining, if we believe the crystal ball predictions out there with uh, Boganowski. I mean, they've really late started to uh, add to the offensive line and the defensive backfield toward the end of this class, just starting to fortify late. And those are kind of two of the big position groups they're doing that at. Yeah, and then there's the Eddie Pierre-Louis, and you never know what could happen with the Williams-Dwinary and maybe a Kobe Black situation. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to put anything positive out in the atmosphere just yet, but the fact that the door is still open just a little bit, I'm 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 going to be encouraged by that. So we'll see where it goes. The connections to Brent Venables from the Black family are pretty strong, so it's understandable why there might still be some some connection there but again flips are the exception not the rule if they can get one flip out of their targets that'd be great but we'll just see what happens we'll just see what happens what else should we touch on here tonight josh you all if you got questions that you'd like us to touch on here on locked on sooners make sure you drop them in the chat we'd love to break them down here for you tonight uh, I, I saw a question about mccade Matire. i didn't hear anything positive necessarily that he was going to be available for this week but it sounded like in you know pregame warm-ups he was moving well uh this past saturday and i i do think he was kind of a missed part of the offensive line so what what are you seeing or what are you hearing right now about mccabe messiah so what uh i've been able to glean and have heard is basically McCade Mattire, even this past weekend, was uh, what they would affectionately or maybe uh, unaffectionately refer to as the fire extinguisher. So he was available if uh, there were really, really some fires needed to be put out, which, you know, based on the way the game played out, I mean, were there there not some fires at times to be put out for Oklahoma? But so he – I take that to be he's close. Now – you know, the, I know, uh, no, sorry. USC sorry. Pun, no USC pun intended, uh, which is an interest. That's probably, we should talk a little bit about that. There's some interesting things happening out West, but uh, you know, nice finish to the game. Uh, looking at the snap counts as I know you're off to do John pro football focus, all 89 snaps were accounted for at the two tackle positions at center Caden green at one of the guard slots and then Schaefer and Bird basically right down the middle split the, uh, split the other guard snaps. So that's kind of interesting, right? And it seemed like, well, looked like it happened just like this, that Oklahoma with Bird late in the game, man, they started carving out some running lanes. As much as I want to sit here and say, hey, they turned it over and they let Dylan Gabriel go make plays late, Oklahoma's running game finally helped Gabriel out and finally helped the offense out at the end of the football game. So that was a positive sign. And does that mean, as I've been saying, Green, Bird, this is the best offensive line. It's the most talented offensive line. Let them grow. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they were so successful running the football against Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl. Well, Savion Bird was playing. He was your starter out of fall camp. Had some issues in, at different times, but he's a he's a good player. And he's got a lot of growing still to do. Yeah, Caden Green, obviously, we know the talent that's there, the potential that's there. Uh, 405 Boy says, we have the worst field goal kicker in the country. I mean, statistically, I don't know if that's accurate. I haven't looked, but you, you definitely feel a certain kind of way about uh, Zach Schmidt right now after missing you know, three field goals in a row between Texas and Oklahoma and the UCF game. But he did hit his final field goal attempt of the game. Um, was it at the end of the first half and then he made all his extra points. So, I mean, there's some encouraging things there at least. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not a great situation right now for Oklahoma, obviously with uh, Zach Schmidt. Un- unfortunately, he is still what eight out of the 11 on the season, which is not great. And look, he's basically shanked a couple here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one he duffed versus Texas, there's all sorts of theories like what happened on it. I don't know, but it wasn't good, whatever happened on it. And then to, you know, come out and miss the two. He's 81st nationally in uh, what I'm looking at, you know, according to NCAA football stats. So is he 9 of 13 on the season now? Is that right? 
Uh, I'll have to look real quick, but give me I one he was, second. I thought he was eight of 11 at one point, but I'm looking at, they're saying nine of 13. So bottom line is they got some legitimate field goal kicking issues. I think that much is obvious. And I, I don't know. I mean, if the coaching staff that spends, I think a good amount of good, healthy amount of time on special teams in practice, if they see that this guy right now is the best place kicker, then I don't know what you do other than you hope that he goes out there and makes a couple of kicks and gets the confidence back. I will tell you in the special department, and we talked about this in our last episode, but Elzinga, I don't think that's any small development for Oklahoma. That was a nice sign. Yeah, finding a punter that could actually get it, you know, get it down the field and, and flip the field a little bit. That's really encouraging for your defense in particular. You know, I think UCF, how much was their defense under stress when their kicker was not even able to get it past the 50? on Saturday. Now, Oklahoma wasn't able to take advantage, unfortunately, but that, that puts the defense under a lot of stress when they have to defend only 60 yards. If you've got a kicker that can put them back down at the 10, 15 yard line, and an offense has to go 85, 90 yards on a drive, man, that's a, that's a great spot to be in. If you're a, uh, a defend a defensive unit. Now UCF had a really nice play drawn up or drew drawn up drawn up there's the word drawn up and absolutely tricked woody washington and, and hit that big 85 yard touchdown play uh just before halftime but ultimately like your punter did his job he pinned him a little bit deeper and i, I think that's an encouraging sign for sure zach schmidt by the way nine of 13 69 not good on the season that's not, <laughs> not good not good at all not, no, not good no. At it was all. and he was and he was kicking well up until the you know that late miss against Texas or second half miss against Texas. He had been kicking pretty well. He's just now missed, you know, three over the last two games and that's not going to do it for you. Well, um, the other thing that'll rub people the wrong way, John is two of those are in the 30 to 39 category, right? I mean, like that needs to be, I don't want to say chip shot, but yeah, those need to be makes. You can't be missing in the 30 to 39 yard range. You start getting beyond 40 and I want to make every single kick, right? You line up and I don't care if it's a 52 yard. If we're lining up and kicking it, you better get it through the uprights, but Hey, okay. You start getting beyond 45 and above. Okay. I, I sort of understand it's the degree of difficulty obviously is, is greater, but man, we're talking in the thirties. Yeah. We, you gotta, you gotta get those through the upright and get three points. That's right. You can't leave those points on the field. Uh, Stephen G asks, and we can be kind of brief with this because we'll, we'll definitely get into it in more depth later in the week. But what do you think is going to be a key to a victory against Kansas? Stop the run game. Don't let uh, Neil go crazy. And any week you could say that. But I think if you can do that in this game, it uh, puts a lot of pressure on Bean to basically go do what he did versus Oklahoma State. And I'm not sure that he can do that against uh, Oklahoma's defense. So I would start there. And then I'm, I'm hopeful that Oklahoma is going to run the football well against KU. Yeah, that's kind of where I'd put it too. It's a similar game plan as you had this past week against UCF. Stop the run. Don't give up big plays in the passing game. And when Jason Bean gives you an opportunity to take the ball away, you take the ball away. John Rice Plumley did give Billy Bowman a shot. He uh, just had, got one hand on it and wasn't able to come down with the turnover, but it's, it's going to be that, you know, put Jason Bean in situations where he's having to pass on, you know, second and 10, third and 10 and make him uncomfortable. And I think Oklahoma's defense is showing that they're capable of doing just that. A possum pause asks any chance Arnold gets reps in trash time. Is that an opossum reference about the trash? <laughs> Sorry possum uh rummaging through the trash but all, all right all you dads come on down uh another dad joke uh, right around the corner here uh, the if there's trash time uh, i'd love to see arnold get some <laughs> some reps this week really would like to see arnold get some reps next week if uh if i could pick a week for him to get some reps would be really fun to see him do that in uh Stillwater. but hey uh, i don't think it's going to happen probably in either game the way things are going right now i think these are going to be hard games to win for ou i hope that i'm wrong i hope that ou goes out there and just rolls it up and we see the kind of performance that we were expecting or wishing for against ucf that did not happen but you know i look at these and i think i think it's going to be challenging to some degree yeah i mean i hope i hope that 
they go up into Lawrence and they're up by, you know, three or four touchdowns going into the fourth quarter and you can give Jackson Arnold some reps. We'll see. I'm not going to, I'm not going to count those chickens before they hatch, man. They got to go and they got to play and they got to go prove that they're capable of doing just that against a pretty good Kansas offense. I think you're right, Josh, the rest of the schedule, even I think TCU could surprise us by the end of the, by the end of the season. I mean, that's five weeks away. Who knows what their quarterback situation looks like when we get to that black Friday affair, but I mean, every game is going to be tough and you got to go into it, you know, obviously hoping that you blow your team, blow your opponent out, but just get the win survive in advance. That's the name of the game right now. Get to the big 12 title game, win that one, and then hope for the best, you know, in a college football playoff, you know, uh selection show. But, uh, I mean, I'd love to see Jackson Arnold. I don't want to see him in the Jackson Arnold, you know, bell dozer package like we were about to see against UCF before the Knights called a timeout. But uh, I, I'd, I'd want to see him throw the ball. Like, you know what? Throw him out there for a series just to mess with you, uh, mess with Kansas if you want to, and actually let him run the offense, and then just then go back to Dylan Gabriel just just for fun. Just throw it out there, see what happens. Like beginning of the second quarter or something like that, just to throw everybody off their game plan. I know we've uh, spent a decent amount of time tonight talking about this, but don't let uh, KU's past fool you here. I agree with Richard. We better be on our best behavior uh, and performance this weekend in Lawrence, Kansas, he writes. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a challenge, right? I mean, don't we think that, uh, look, I'd like to exist in a world again where this thing gets a little lopsided and Oklahoma goes and and makes a statement, but – on paper right now, I think that uh, Oklahoma is going to have to go earn it and it has the chance to be, you know, a second half game. Yeah, I think so too. And Mark says here, Kansas scares me more than UCF. They're better all the way around. Bean doesn't look bad either. He can be dangerous. Absolutely. And I feel like they've got an opportunistic defense that's able to, you know, make plays on the football in the air. And so there's, there are going to be opportunities for Kansas to steal some momentum in this game because they do have some talented players. Lance Leipold is a really good coach that's done a great job at, at turning that program into what it is. I mean, just a few years back, this was a terrible program that had no direction and was just really on the ropes as far as a college football program looked. He comes in in the spring and immediately starts making them a competitive team and here we are now they're they're a 5 and 2 football team and and they're right in the thick of Big 12 title contention so this is a big game for them to continue to assert that they are a legit Big 12 title contender now they're going to be an under, underdog but i mean they're going to come out and throw in haymakers they're not going to sit back and try to play this thing conservative they're going to give Oklahoma their best shot and see if they can come away and steal a win is the offensive line or sorry it's the offensive line. They're not sticking with blocks. A lot of OU linemen standing around during the play, says Sean B. I've noticed that too, that after their their blocking assignment, they just kind of sit there. They're not really looking for somebody else to block. And that's kind of weird to me. I got to imagine Bill Biedenboe's seen it and has mentioned that, that they got to keep looking to play through the whistle. I, I don't know. What do you make of that, Josh? What I make of it is I don't disagree. And I would also say UCF is 120th in rushing defense. They allow 196 uh, per game. How many did Oklahoma get last week, John? Oh, I had it and then I went away from it. They got a lot of rushing yards last week. And as I'm vamping, I'm finding the box score really quickly. They got 189 rushing yards against UCF. So less than what UCF averages is what Oklahoma got uh, Kansas 93rd nationally rushing defense surrenders 161 per game so what would I say to that I would say if Oklahoma doesn't go over two bills versus Kansas I'm ready to tell you Oklahoma is not very good at rushing the football and I don't want it to be with quarterback run game either yeah kind of my expectation is if they can at least get 75 percent of the opponent's season average then I think that's going to be enough for them to win. Like if they run for 140 yards in the game, is that good? Good enough? No, not necessarily, but it's good enough for them to win football games with the way that Dylan Gabriel's playing. And I think they could run for more. I think they could do a lot more this week, especially if, you know, what we saw in the fourth quarter is a sign. What I've noticed, and I feel like maybe this is why they've been better, is when it comes down to crunch time, I feel like they simplify the running scheme a little bit and they just 
go straight at teams. They go between the tackles and they look to just get downhill in a hurry as opposed to, you know, trying to get things wide and, and run a lot of stretch zone plays. Just get downhill, do what you feel like is the thing that you're your offensive line is best suited for. And I think it is getting downhill with the way that Savion bird plays in the box with Caden Green's size and physicality, man, just get downhill and play. Who would be y'all starting five? That's via Steven G. I mean, I'd take Michael magic, yeah. maybe uh Dirk Shaq and Kobe. No, um, starting offense. Yeah, I think line, more than five players. Was that more than five? Was that six? I don't know. Yeah. Man, I, go on. Carry on. Michael Magic, Shaq, Dirk, Kobe. I think that's five. Okay. So a lot of Lakers, and I'm kind of disappointed in that. But um, no, my my starting five offensive line. Gimme, I mean, gotta go with Rouse. He's playing really, really well. Um, I'd go with Caden Green. I mean, there's nothing that he's done that's been so egregious that he shouldn't continue to start. Sometimes your future is now. And let me see the future because he's playing really, really well and let him continue to grow and, and improve and build uh, Rame at center. Uh, he's your most experienced offensive lineman in this system. So give me Rame. Uh, I'd love to see more Savion bird. Now, again, McKay Mattire, he's an experienced dude. So if he's back and he's healthy, I want him on the field. And then obviously Tyler Guyton, a potential first round pot draft prospect. I thought you were about to drop a, give me Rame or give me death, which would, <laughs> by the way, be a fantastic t-shirt idea yeah. for any of the uh, collectives and such out there. Hank, you got it. This is the one. It's Rouse, it's Green, it's Rain, it's Bird, it's Guyton. That's the five. That's the best five. Play that five. See you in the national championship game. Yeah, agreed. I'm going to respond real quick to Eric here. Um, he says, I can't believe we're talking about OU rushing for 150 yards. This is pathetic for OU. It's relative to what we're seeing right now. Is that good enough? No. And I said it, it's not good enough, but it's good enough to win. And what's the most important thing that matters? Winning football games. So I don't care if Oklahoma ran for two yards, as long as they won the football game, that'd be the thing that mattered most to me. That's got to get better. If Oklahoma only rushes for 150 yards in this game, I'll still come back and say they got to be better. But ultimately what matters the most is that they win the football game. And I think with Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, you don't have to run for 200, 300 yards. He's playing well enough that Oklahoma can go win a football game and only run for 150 yards. So how, how much can I get you to buy into or subscribe to the theory that, again, if Oklahoma doesn't go out and run the football above that average that Kansas gives up on a rainy day where it is going to be a little bit of a slot fest. You're going to need to run, lean on the run game. If Oklahoma can't do that to Kansas, and this winds up being a tight football game, can I talk you into two things? A, that uh, the run game might just have some serious problems that aren't really necessarily going to get fixed this season. And B, that uh, Oklahoma's further away from being a championship contender than maybe we thought coming out of the Texas game. I mean, I'm not really still there putting them as a championship contender because i still see problems and the running game is one of those areas. I see Oklahoma still give up a lot of big plays on defense and those are problems. Now they've been able to mitigate the, the damage whenever they do give up a big play, but you can't give up a lot of big plays and go win championships. You can't. Uh, not run the football and win championships. So I, I'm encouraged by what I see at times, but I think what they need to do is just simplify things and and play to their strengths, which you've got some big, big dudes on the offensive line that can lean on opponents and wear them down and just, just get downhill. Just get downhill fast. Do what you do well and do it often and don't worry about trying to get outside Use your screen game to get outside. You know, use your Drake Stoops, your Jaquay's Petaway, your Jalil Farouk. Use that to threaten the defense on the outside and then let your running backs hammer them up the middle. You know, whether it's Tawi Walker, who we know is a bowling ball and is going to punish people, or if it's Gavin Sawchuk, who is somebody who can, you know, get hit the hole fast and then make a big play, or it's Marcus Major, who's just steady as he goes, you know. He's going to be good for three, four yards a pop, and then he's going to hit a 13, 14-yard run at times. So I, I like the idea that um, 
if they just simplify some things, they can be better. But yeah, if they, if they have a poor rushing effort, I mean, I'm not going to come away feeling encouraged. I'll still feel like they need to improve and get better, but as long as they win, I'll be okay with that. Not okay, but I'll be satisfied, I guess. Is that a way to put it? Yeah. A, a win always uh, leaves me feeling, uh, well, like the sun will come up tomorrow, right? Eight no would feel good. It, just going out the the door here from Gunny. Are y'all ready to hear Muleshoes say, I'm not going to be the Bears' next head coach and then become the next, the new Dallas Cowboys head football coach? John, are you ready? Chad is trolling me specifically on this one. I, I guarantee it. I, no, I would be a Chiefs fan or a 49ers fan in an instant. I, I could not go through a, another Lincoln Riley tenure. I could not. I could not. It would not be fun. As so, so here's my here's my NFL fan history in a nutshell. Grew up in California from age two to fourteen uh, as a as a kid right at the height of the Joe Montana 49ers era had me the 49ers starter jacket. I still got the 49ers starter jacket from when I was a kid, had a Joe Montana Jersey and was 100% heartbroken and devastated when they let him go and made Steve young, the starting quarterback. So I said, screw you 49ers. I'm following my man, Joe Montana to the Kansas city chiefs. And I did, I was a chiefs fan for the better part of the nineties through Joe Montana's tenure, through Elvis Gerback, through Steve Bono, through, oh man, I got to enjoy the beauty of, of Derek Thomas and Tameric Vanover, the X Factor. Like there were some, some pretty fun times as a Chiefs fan. But in that, that same time frame, my family, we moved from California to Texas. Joe Montana retires. I stayed a Chiefs fan for three or four years, even after we moved to Dallas, the Dallas Fort Worth area. But ultimately, being, you know, reading the Fort Worth Star Telegram, listening to 1310 The Ticket in Fort Worth, and just being around Dallas Cowboys fans. My buddy Josh, not this Josh, but another buddy Josh that lived right across the street from me. He, his whole family were Dallas Cowboys fan. Eventually, I became a Dallas Cowboys fan. This was in 2000 is when I say I was uh, drawn to the Dallas Cowboys era. If you know your Dallas Cowboys history, you also know that's the season that Troy, Troy Aikman got hurt, his back let out, and he retired from the game. And we dealt with the six years of cowboy quarterbacking that was a black hole that no one should ever have to go through ever, ever as a fan of ever anything. When you had Quincy Carter and Anthony Wright and Clint Sterner and Ryan Leaf and former baseball players, Drew Henson and Chad Hutchinson. Anyway, so if Lincoln Riley ever ends up the Dallas Cowboys head coach, I will not deal with that anyway sorry long-winded way to say please god no <laughs> it it's okay you can be honest with the people and say that gunther cunningham and herm edwards and todd haley uh turned you off from the chiefs oh man <laughs> so it was it was man I, I really enjoyed uh some some marty schottenheimer that was really good times marty ball was uh marty ball was uh a legend starter jackets by the way from the 90s elite yeah. Still a lead. Hey, on the way out the door, which by the way, to our viewing audience and listening audience, congratulations, Rangers fans. It's not final as we're with you now just yet, but yeah, it's basically final. The Rangers, for the first time since 2011 and the third time in franchise history, headed to the World Series. I know we got a ton of Rangers viewers and listeners, so congratulations to you all. Been a long time coming. I, I've never been more heartbroken than I was game six of the 2011 World Series as a sports fan. Oh, man, that was a fall on my knees moment when Nelson Cruz failed to catch that David Freeze fly ball to the warning track. And then they take the lead again in extra innings only to give up the lead again in the following. Inning. It, anyway, this question I want to explore in our next episode from Sooner Cowboys. The big question is, do things get worse on defense? UCF was able to expose the defense. OU wasn't able to expose UCF's weakness on defense, which is the run game, which I think I am going to shift command three. There you go. That is a screenshot, so I will remember to uh, revisit. Yeah, we'll see. 
We'll see. That'll be a that'll be a fun uh, thing to watch this Saturday as Oklahoma takes on Kansas at 11 a.m. Part of Fox Big Noon kickoff. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. We'll touch on that one in our next episode. I think it'll be a great question to to lead off the show with. Unless there's any other uh, big time breaking news, we'll we'll see what happens. But follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on Ref. Myself at John Nine Williams. The show is at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook Locked On Sooners podcast. Uh, again, thanks so much for subscribing to the show. Wherever you get your podcasts for free and available on all platforms and on YouTube, hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. But until next time, again, thank you so much for being a part of the chat. Always fun to chat it up with y'all here on Oklahoma Sooners and Texas Rangers baseball. If you're a Rangers fan, go check out Locked on Rangers. It's going to be a great show tonight as as the Texas Rangers look like they're about to clinch the World Series berth. Just did. Just did. There you go. Go check out Locked on Rangers as we're signing off here. But until next time, he's Josh. I'm John. Boomer Sooner. Go Rangers.